All month long, we've been talking about this thing called hope. That may be a word that means so much to you. It may get you excited because you feel like you have so many reasons to look forward to the future. Or it may be a word that causes you pain because maybe you don't feel like you have a lot of reasons to look forward to your future. Maybe it's something that seems to just escape you. Maybe your life has been marked by hope and maybe your life has given you reasons to not believe that you can experience it. But first, before we keep going, we got a lot of ground to cover today. It's going to be a lot of scripture that we read together, so be ready to flip quickly. But I want to remind us of what Pastor David spoke about last week, biblical hope. What is biblical hope? Well, biblical hope is a confident expectation that things will happen for good in the future. A confident expectation that things will happen for good in the future. So let me ask you, is that something that you would say you tend to believe? Is that something that you would say you tend to experience? Would you consider hope a close friend or maybe a distant acquaintance? As we talked about over the last two weeks, hope is something that we desire. It is innate within us. It's something that God has put inside of us. And sometimes hope is deferred, but hope is never denied. Amen? In a world where life is often marked by loss and suffering and pain, that is good news. But where does this confident expectation that things will happen for good in the future come from? If it's based simply on just our belief system or just simply on our emotions that we can muster up, it will fail. But see, this confident expectation comes from a God who is more powerful than any other. This confident expectation comes from a God who holds everything in the very palm of his hand, who is able to use all things for our good and for his glory. So you may be in a time where you feel that your hope has been sapped, like all has been lost. Maybe you even find yourself here this morning wondering, has God abandoned me? I want you to know this has been the reality of every generation from the garden to today, at some point or another, in some way or another. But I want you to hear this. God has been consistent in declaring hope the entire time. God has never left his people without hope. God has never not given his people a reason to keep going. He has never left his people without a reason to continue following him We may feel as if hope has been lost, but hope is never lost unless we find ourselves at the end of our lives without placing our hope and faith in Jesus, spending eternity away from him in darkness. If you are still breathing, there is hope for you today. Hope has been God's consistent message throughout all of eternity. And so in a world longing for hope, it is there for those that are paying attention. Let me ask you this. Do we have any parents here this morning? We've got like four. All right, welcome. I am glad you are here. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever just had a really busy day? All right, maybe your, your day is packed full with errands. You've got a bunch of stuff you got to do. You're busy. The schedule's packed. And your son or daughter's hanging out with you, and they ask you the question, Mom, Dad, can we go to the park And your answer is, we'll see. 
Anybody ever been there? Okay. When you say, we'll see, when I say, we'll see, what we're really saying is that thing that you asked to see, you will probably not see, right? (laughs) Maybe I'm the only one, but I'm judging by your laughter that you've done the same thing. See, we're so caught up in our day-to-day, we're so caught up in our schedule that we don't have the heart to tell our kid no, but really that's what we're saying. We'll see means we're probably not doing that thing. But the good news that we have is God is not the kind of parent that we are at times. His word is absolute. It will not fail. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God makes a promise, it is sure to stand. When God makes a promise, it is sure to stand. Pastor David talked about this last week. So even though our minds struggle to comprehend the reality of a sure promise, we can rest in the fact that God is a God who keeps his word. But what could make the promise that God has declared even more cemented in our hearts and in our minds? Even more than God himself speaking it. I want to take a look at this. When it's spoken to and through multiple people and even angels to make sure that we really grasp that God means what he says. All throughout the Old Testament, this hope has been declared. Maybe we don't realize that. Maybe we don't realize just how potent these promises of hope truly are. So, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're not just going to have a couple points and walk through those. We're going to take a journey through all of Scripture. Are you ready to do that today? Are you ready to see where this hope has been declared over and over and over and over again? Let's do it. I want you to understand, the message is consistent. The king is coming. The king is coming. God was the first to announce that a Messiah would come. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, while God explains the effects that eating from the tree would have, while Adam and Eve are hiding, covered in the shame from what they'd done, he declares hope in the midst of the suffering. He says to the serpent, something you may have heard, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is God announcing right away, after the very first sin, that a Messiah would come whom Satan would harm, but who would ultimately crush Satan's head on the cross. Even in the midst of their breaking covenant with God, God steps in and declares hope because he is a promise-keeping God. The message is consistent. The king is coming. Can you say that with me? The king is coming. Let's take Abraham, for example. 20 generations after Adam was first given this promise of the Messiah, we encounter the famous retelling of the moment when Adam prepared to sacrifice, or I'm sorry, Abraham prepared to sacrifice his son to God. This son, Isaac, that had waited 25 years to be born. Abraham has waited 25 years for this promised son. 
Sarah, his wife, didn't even have the ability to have children. It seemed like it would be impossible. But God delivered on this promise, and now God was asking for this son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine what that would have been like. And we don't have time to unpack all the details of this story. But what we see after God intervenes and stops him, as he looks inside the bush next to him and sees a ram that God has provided in Isaac's place, we see a promise of the coming Messiah. You may have missed it in your reading before. I know I have because it's not explicit. But we see here in Genesis 22, starting in verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God is saying that he would multiply Abraham's offspring, meaning that he was going to create a nation through Abraham, through his descendants. But then in verse 18, he says that in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God was speaking about Jesus. This was a promise of the coming Messiah. Jesus was the one who would be the descendant of Abraham and the one who would possess the gates of his enemies. He would be the one to bless all the nations of the earth through the sacrifice that he gave on the cross. And lo and behold, though 54 roughly generations later, Jesus was born from the line of Abraham a direct descendant of the man who was given the promise. See, hope was declared to Abraham, and he is a promise-keeping God. So the message is consistent. Say it with me. The king is coming. Now let's journey to Moses. Are we doing okay so far? We're taking a fast track through the whole Bible this morning, all right? So I know it's a lot to keep up, but let's journey to Moses. This is the man that God used to set the Israelites free from captivity in Egypt. This is the very nation that God had promised to Abraham now had find themselves hopeless. They're living as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. But remember, God is a promise-keeping God. And so as we read early in the book of Exodus, Moses has been in the wilderness for about 40 years. He had fled from Egypt where he was raised because he was scared that he would be put to death because he had killed a man himself. So I want you to understand where Moses finds himself in this moment. This is something that I just recently learned. I thought it was fascinating. Moses is now in the wilderness. He has run for his life. He's been there for 40 years, probably feeling pretty hopeless. He's now married to the high priest's daughter of a pagan community. These people worshiped false gods. This is where Moses finds himself. And then he sees a burning bush and he turns toward it and he has an encounter with God. And God tells him, you're going to be the one to lead my people out of Egypt. Again, we don't have time to unpack all of this, but long after the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they've walked through the Red Sea in the book of Deuteronomy, we're given a glimpse of this coming Messiah. Two months before the Israelites would cross the Jordan River into the promised land, Right before Moses dies, and after they had been in the wilderness for 40 years, 
Moses is giving a people, the people an address of what God has said about how to live. And it's in this address we see a promise of the coming Messiah. It's so quick that we can miss it if we weren't paying attention. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So the question is, who in the world is this prophet that Moses is talking about? There's this little refrain inside this big song of law that Moses is giving. The people never saw this prophet. I want you to understand that. Whoever it was, if you go to the New Testament in John chapter 1, we see people are asking John the Baptist if he is this prophet that Moses was talking about. And he says, this famous response, no, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So it's clear that the people were still waiting for this prophet to come. And so, how do we know who this prophet is? Well, we're going to look at some more scripture. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now catch this. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. This prophet that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is none other than Jesus himself, the promised Messiah. Hope was declared to Moses, and God is a promise-keeping God. And so the message is consistent. And what is that message? The king is coming. How about David? Let's take that guy, for example. The man who God raised up to be king of Israel. He was a shepherd, a pretty unlikely candidate, by the way, to be king, the least impressive in his own family. He was anointed by Samuel to be king while he was just a boy. But David had to wait 15 years to actually assume the throne, to see that promise fulfilled. And during his reign, once he's established on this throne, God gave him a glimpse of the coming Messiah. Hope was declared to David. So 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12. This is a prophecy that Nathan is giving to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning when you die, I will raise up for your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men." But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. 
And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So what he's saying is after David, there would be one from his offspring who would establish his kingdom, who would build a house for his name and establish his throne forever. Now I want to acknowledge that yes, Solomon, David's son, was the one who established the immediate kingdom. But Jesus was the one who established God's kingdom securely for all time. Yes, Solomon built the temple where God would dwell among his people in the Old Testament. But Jesus built and is building the house of God called the church. Yes, Solomon was never cut off from God for his sin, but it was Jesus who was beaten by the stripes of men as he took on our sin. And yes, Solomon's kingdom would continue through new kings after him, but Jesus has claimed the throne for all time. The one being referred to in this moment of prophecy is none other than Jesus himself, the promised Messiah. Hope was declared to David, far behind, but far beyond his immediate family. This was none other than Jesus. And 41 generations later, the descendant of David came and accomplished all that was promised because he is a promise-keeping God and the message is consistent. The king is coming. And now we come to a story that many of us know very well. It's one that we've probably talked about this month. You're probably teaching this to your kids. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Sound familiar? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Have you ever been startled by somebody when they walked up to you and weren't expecting them? It's the worst, right? Now, we used to play this game in high school youth group. It was called the dark game. Basically, what we did was just turned off all the lights in the church and walked around scaring the bejesus out of everybody every chance that we got. It was absolutely terrifying. I do not re- recommend it by any means. Like, don't play the dark game. It was the worst. There's nothing like that jolt of fear when somebody catches you off guard and screams in your face and you didn't know they were coming, Right? But now imagine that you're Mary, just doing whatever you had planned for the day, and in comes an angel. 
the angel Gabriel at that. There's a reason why this angel had to say, don't be afraid, okay? This is no small encounter. It's not every day that an angel from heaven shows up to tell you something. But this angel had some good news that he needed to share. Mary, who was not the pinnacle of society by any means, who lived in a town that was not known for a reputation of anything good, was being told that the Lord was with her and that she would bear a son. But this was not any ordinary son. This would be the son of God. Can you imagine how she felt in this moment? Can you imagine what would have been going through her head? The angels had now joined in on this promise of a coming Messiah. And now Mary is being told that she would be the one. She would be the one that would bring him into the earth. It's insane. She's given this news that the Messiah was not only coming, but this long-awaited, prophetically foretold Messiah would be born through her. We see this in the prophets, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so roughly 800 years prior to Jesus' birth, Isaiah foretells of this promise of a coming Messiah. And now Mary and Joseph are shown that this promise would be fulfilled through them. Hope was declared to Mary and Joseph. And he is a promise-keeping God. And so the message is consistent. The king is coming. And so we're going to spend some time next week, spoiler alert, the birth of Jesus. Okay, that's coming. We're going to talk about that in detail next week. But what I want to make sure we all see this morning is that God fulfilled every single promise of the coming Messiah when Jesus was born. He fulfilled every promise about how his sacrifice would be the atonement for our sin. And since he's been good on every promise in the past, he can be trusted with every single promise in the future. Do you remember the first scripture we visited this morning? I know it's been a minute. We've talked about a lot. We've covered a lot of ground. But Genesis 3.15, where God told Abraham and, or Adam and Eve that the Messiah would come and that Satan would bruise his heel, but the Messiah would crush Satan's head. Well, that was a promise of the cross, first and foremost, of course. The very thing that, thought, what, that Satan thought was destroying God would be the very thing that would ultimately destroy him. Amen? But that's not all that there is. We're going to flip to the last few pages of our Bible, Revelation 19. If you don't know much about the book of Revelation, it is packed full of prophecies of the end times. It is not an easy read by any means. The last couple of chapters detail the very end when Satan is ultimately crushed and the new heaven and the new earth are established. And I want us to read this together. And I know we've read a lot of scripture and I could paraphrase it, but there is no substitute for just reading the word of God. And so I want us to read it. And so at this point in the passage, a whole lot has happened but I want you to see what happens at the very end of all time on this earth. Maybe even just, if you want to, close your eyes and and envision this. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the word that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And then chapter 20, starting in verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, the promise made in Genesis will be completely fulfilled when Satan is destroyed once and for all. Yes, he may bruise Christ's heel, but Christ will crush his head. And so we look to a Savior who has come and accomplished our salvation through his birth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, but who has also promised to come again. He's coming again. And when he does, he will reign forever. He's going to usher in the kingdom of God to be the only kingdom that stands for all time. True rest and freedom and joy and peace will be experienced by all who have given their lives to Jesus Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. Hurt will be no more. Weariness will be no more. Fear will be no more. Heartache will be no more. Depression will be no more. Anxiety will be no more. The promise will be fulfilled entirely. Amen. The second to last verse of the entire Bible, Revelation 22:20 says, He, meaning Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, Surely, I am coming soon. If Jesus came before, he will come again. If he made good on his promise to come as Messiah before, he will make good on his promise to come as Messiah again. He came first as a baby and was the king on the cross, and he will come again as the king on the throne The hope that has been declared will be fulfilled because he is a promise-keeping God. And the message is consistent. Say it with me. The king is coming. That's good news, right, church? But here's the question. What do we do with this news? What do we do with this hope that has been declared to us? Are we just supposed to know this? No. We're given the privilege to declare this hope. As we experience it, we declare it. As we behold Jesus, we proclaim Jesus. As we live in this hope declared, we declare this hope to others. 
See, just as the promise was declared to Adam and Eve in the garden, just as it was declared to Abraham as he looked at the sky and numbered the stars, just as it was declared to Moses and the Israelites before they entered the promised land, just as this promise was declared to David when he rose to his throne and to Mary and Joseph through the angels and to the prophets who, were told, who told about Jesus before he ever came, to the disciples who Jesus entrusted with this message when he ascended to heaven. This same hope has been declared to us so that it can be declared through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Let that sink in. We are called the ambassadors of this hope. God is making his appeal through us. And so I want to ask you this question in closing. Have you ever wondered why the prophets told about this so many times? Have you ever wondered why there's this declaration of hope, this very same promise over and over and over and over again in Scripture? I think I'd ask this. Why do we come to church each week? Is it just to learn something new? I don't think so. I think we come to church because we need to be reminded of what God has already spoken. We come to church because we need to be reminded of His promises. We need to be reminded of what he has accomplished and what that means for us. It's what keeps our hope alive. The Israelites continuously found themselves in hopeless situations, whether it was from sin or oppression, lack of belief and trust in God. Maybe it was turning to other idols, whatever it may have been. They often lacked hope. Just take a look at the Israelites and what they said when they were Surrounded by Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. If you want to see a people who are in true despair, they often needed hope. And the only thing that could truly give them the hope they so desperately needed was the promise of a coming Messiah who would one day take away their sin, restore their relationship with God, and to be a ruling and reigning king for the people. So God used the men and women, prophets and angels to remind them of what God had spoken. In the same way, we're here to be reminded of the source of our hope. Every single week, you're going to hear about Jesus and what he has accomplished. If you haven't caught it yet, no matter how long you've been coming here, the main point of every single sermon will be the same. And it's the gospel, the promise of a Messiah who has come and will come again. That's where our hope comes from. And so maybe you're in a season of waiting. Maybe you're in a season where you're just like the Israelites were time and time again. Maybe you're losing hope about the promise of God and you're wondering, is he gonna come through? Is he gonna deliver? Trust and believe that God keeps his promises. He is a God that can be trusted. He delivers. And the greatest proof that his promises can be trusted is in the baby Jesus Christ come to earth. Emmanuel God with us, born exactly as predicted. I want you to think about the effect of Jesus born in a manger in lowly Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. The effect of his arrival was immense and yet all he could do was cry and coo. 
and depend upon his mom for survival. He was humble in the most exclusive way. Yet his arrival meant hope had come. This was no small event. This was the moment that changed everything. His arrival brought God to walk the very streets of his people. He was no longer confined to exclusive place, but now had come to save his people. All these years, the centuries of waiting now culminated in the birth of God among us. All the promises of a coming Messiah who would set us free were now realized. If hope has been declared, and it has, and our hope has been declared by the God who keeps his promises, we can have hope today. Amen? Because he is a promise-keeping God, and the message is consistent. The King is coming. So I want to give us a chance to reflect this morning. Maybe close your eyes and bow your heads. I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know if you're here this morning longing for hope. I don't know if you're in this season where you feel as if your hope has been deferred. Like we talked about earlier where you're questioning, will God actually do what he said? I want you to look at Jesus. He was promised for thousands of years. In the very moment where we were separated from God in the garden, his hope was declared. I know it's hard now, but there's a savior coming. And so there's hope for you today. And what's on my heart is maybe there's somebody in here that doesn't know this Jesus. Maybe there's somebody in here that can't cling to this hope because they don't know the one who secured it for them. I want you to know the king has come for you. And the king is coming again for you. And you may feel separated from God now because there's a breach called sin. And there's this bridge that needed to be built between the chasm of our sin and the holiness of God. But Jesus, this promised Messiah, the hope that was declared from the very beginning through eternity has made good on his promise and has come for you to set you free from the bondage of sin, to set you free from the despair and hopelessness that life can bring. And so if that's you this morning, just take a moment and ask God to take the reins of your life. Tell him you want him to be exactly what will be written on his thigh when he returns again, King of kings and Lord of lords. Take a moment and let him know you're his. Repent of sin. Allow your heart to break for what separated you from him. But then rest secure in the hope that has been declared to you and for you. And for those of us that know Jesus, we need to center in on the hope that has been declared to us. To be reminded just as we see in the Old Testament time and time again, the New Testament time and time again, there is a promise. And the King is coming. And so there's a way to have hope, a way to have confident expectation that things will happen for good in the future because it rests in the promise of God. And He is a promise-keeping God. 
So take a moment this morning and reflect. And we'll sing just another chorus, but allow your hope to be renewed this morning. Let it sink in. The King is coming.